I could go chase medicine. I love learning about the human body. Hey guys, I was just listening to your segment uh, where Maya tells about how you guys got picked up for Anchor. And it's such a cool story, man. I, I never heard any of your stuff on the old Anchor, you know, when it was all just waves. But I love the story. It's such a cool origin story for you guys, right? The fact that, you know, there's, there were some people who were just putting out tons and tons of content and stuff. And you guys just had this one super, super awesome thing that Anchor just, they had their minds blown. And they said, we need to find these guys. And they emailed you and they don't find you and then they chase you and then they find out your doctors awesome stuff i'm gonna keep listening hey medicine remix still loving your show had to call in i had goosebumps listening to that segment i haven't had goosebumps listening to a segment here on anchor but you guys gave it to me the way you articulated your views back and forth was unlike anything else i think this open discussion could really take people forward so you're doing really well hey medicine remix i just want to let you know i'm still listening and i think what you guys are doing is fantastic the confluence of medicine and the music really just makes my day thanks your station i really appreciate what you guys do over there like you do take hip-hop and you blend it with medicine keep doing what you guys do d re shades you guys rock hey what's up medicine remix just wanted to uh, shout you guys out real quick Colin, say you guys are fucking awesome. <laughs> Hope you guys love that kind of language. No. <laughs> awesome music every day. I appreciate the tidbits, man. Keep it up. Thank you so much. I just wanted to stop by and give you a shout. Let you guys know that you guys are still my favorite paradox. Medicine Remix. Damn. Yo, Medicine Remix. Just shout y'all real quick. And also wanted to say I subscribe to your iTunes joint. And I think what you're saying is real, real. I think what you do is really unique, man. So I just want to support it. Um, it's inspiring to me to create. So keep it up, man. It's been a while since I've been on Anchor and I missed you guys like crazy. Um, and naturally, I come back to hear two amazing stories just so compelling and endearing to me. I can relate to what you're saying because I have a 14-year-old and 16-year-old boy and a girl. And I love raising them as teenagers. It's like I feel like I'm coming into my own as a parent. And it puts it into context, you know, how little time I have left with them to make an impact on their world. And so I just, um, I want them to hear the story and I hope that they get the message. I know I did. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remixed. Only on Anchor. This idea of, of what you do uh, following you, you know, this, this idea of like, the perception I give to, to patients and, and other healthcare workers, you know, nurses, other docs. You remember uh, Stephen, big guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were all classmates in med school, but I was really distant from everybody, and Stephen comes up to me, and uh, we were talking something about clothes, and he's like, yeah, your wardrobe will change. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, it'll change. You'll, you'll, you'll change it. And I was like, no, why would I change it? Like, what, what's there to change? And he's like, yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, uh, you know, I came in here with my J's on and everything, and uh, but you, you, you learned that you, you can't be that guy. No. And I remember thinking, like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. First off, you're a sellout already. I hate you. You think I'm a sellout? Why? Because I live in a big house where I dress a certain way? Or maybe it's because I like Barry Manilow? Uh, even Barry White, y'all. <laughs> but, uh, and then I found out later, he's from, from a pretty well-off family, and, you know, and I wouldn't consider him a friend, but... I don't have beef with the guy, you know? Yeah, but, but also, you're from 
from different places. We were from, but he was black, and I think right. he wore the black on him. Like right. people look at me and expect me to be that black to guy. Be, yeah. be black but guy. he was like right. the whitest black guy I had ever met. Well, maybe growing up where you did has made you a little touch, but I think you've blown this whole thing way out of proportion. If you look at the facts. And even that's almost a little racial to say, like, oh, you know, what does yeah. it mean to be a white yeah. black guy? But in the context of where people looked at him, they expected him to be that other kind of black guy. Yeah. You know this gears chill. Yo, how you playing me, Prince? And yeah. he was instead the educated black guy that didn't want people to know that he was the educated black guy, really. So wanted as much hood cred as he could get without actually having to be from the hood. Uh, you know, that type of guy. Are you dissing me? So it was a weird sort of where I realized, wow, like, what exactly is my role in this? I, like, when people look at me, am I like the Spanish kid? Am I, am I that guy? Uh, and it really started to bug me because then, then I started to better understand uh, whether I liked it or not. That's what it's going to be. So uh, it was a burden, man. It was just different. It wasn't the norm for me in med school. But that sort of, uh, I don't know, shell shock, that sort of really bothered me and became an issue the first two years of med school. When it came into play where it was handy was when we started actually interacting with patients. Right, right. Then it was like, you know what, fuckers? Nothing they taught you in class is going to yeah. help you right now. Yep. This person hates you. I'll talk to him. Right. Like nothing that they could have learned. Because how many classes did you sit in in like humanities where you thought to yourself, who the fuck is this lecture for? You have to be told this? And then you looked around the classroom and you're like, ah, oh, it's for you. Yeah. It's for that guy right there. You know, it's a weird sort of like, are we doing it wrong? Are we trying to teach people to be like everybody else that they're mm -hmm. going to be caring for? Because they're so different. Mm -hmm. The people that are going into medicine. Yeah. We're trying to dump, like, I don't know, what are we trying to, like, we're trying to teach them to be normal? I mean, you know, forgive them because that's all they know. They were, that's the life. I don't fault people for growing up. You know, God willing, my kids are going to have all the shit that I made fun of everybody else for having sure. that I wanted, yeah. you know? So, you know, I don't blame them for growing up in that environment. They're lucky shit, but that's not necessarily helpful when they are dealing with patients, you know? They grew up privileged, they just don't know anything else. And most people that you deal with are more average Joe. Right. You know? And I, I've always wondered, like, what are we doing wrong? What is medicine doing wrong? Are we just not pulling, looking for the right things? Are we not, uh, in terms of getting people into med school, you know, are we just, there's a gap, man. Cultural awareness is not something that you're going to get from a diversity day. You could try, I guess, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's worth trying, isn't it? And I'll tell you something else you probably didn't know. And that is this. This is not my real speaking voice. Actually, Chuck, this is my real speaking voice. I talk like straight up gangster, bitch. How many doctors? Are there any doctors here tonight? Look at that. Look at them. Only in my audience we have that many fucking doctors. Where's the doctor over there? Where are you? Right there. What kind of doctor are you? Gynecologist. Oh, wow. Any openings? Where's the other doctor? And what are you? Surgeon. That's a real doctor as far as I'm concerned. What kind of surgeon? Gen genital surgeon? <laughs> or general, oh, general surgeon. Oh yeah, that makes, I was like, hey, you're cutting into her business. You're, uh... And uh, Dr. Genitals, uh, Dr. General Surgeon, what's your name? Sandeep. Sandeep, oh, that's my people right there for sure. <laughs> How long have you been a doctor for, Sandeep? Ten years. Oh, you're brand new. Fuck that. I, uh, how old are you? 41. 41. How long did it take you to become a doctor? Sorry? A long time. Yeah, thanks. Okay. I think I was already implying that. I, uh...
I was actually asking for an actual timeline. Where'd you study, here? Why don't you just go to India? You can become a doctor in four and a half years in India. You know that? If you go to India to become a doctor, four and a half years and you're a doctor. In North America, 10, 11, 12 years to become a doctor. You know why? Because we're soft over here. Over here they're like, well, they need the summer off so their brains can relax. India's like, fuck you. They, they, and they don't learn less in India. They learn just as much, if not more. They just cram it into four and a half years. India, there's a billion people like, we need doctors. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. I gotta be honest with you, Sandeep. Uh, it's nothing personal, but I would never go to you as a doctor. Um, I would never go to an Indian guy that became a doctor. Especially one that was born and raised in, in this part of the world. Fuck that. Because if you were born and raised here, you had real dreams, and it was never to become a doctor. Let's be honest. I'd go to an Indian woman that became a doctor. Uh, obviously not you, because, you know, I... I have boy parts. But... I would go to an Indian woman that became a doctor, because when an Indian woman becomes a doctor, that means she really wanted to be a doctor. Because even her parents are like, Sweetie, you don't have to become a doctor. You can just marry a doctor. She's like, fuck you, I want to be a doctor. I need that kind of determination from my doctor, you know? Well, uh, well, you had dreams when you were 14 years old, right, Sandeep? And it wasn't to be a doctor. That's not what a 14-year-old dreams about. A 14-year-old has dreams that are ridiculous. That, that, sh that your dream at 14 should never be logical. It should just be the dumbest shit you're doing at 14. I'll tell you what my dream was when I was 14. It wasn't to be a comedian. I didn't even know this job existed. My dream of it'll make you feel better about whatever your dream was. Um, my dream at 14, here's what I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life. I thought <laughs> I wanted to be a dancer. All right, first of all, fuck you, all right? Um, second of all, I'm not a stripper. I was, I was a break dancer. I was like, yo, I'm going to do this shit forever. Not a realistic goal, though. What was your dream when you were a 14-year-old boy growing up, Sandeep? Now be honest, don't make no bullshit up. Huh? A musician, so you wanted to be a musician. I know what happened, tell me if I'm right. You're about 17, 18 years old. You're sitting in your room, playing with your guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and your mom walked in, you were thinking, I'm gonna be a musician. Your mom walked in and went, you're going to college? Why don't you become a doctor? <laughs> so you put your guitar down and picked up stethoscope and it was all over after that. That's why I could never go to you. <laughs> I don't want my doctor to have had other dreams about being something else. My doctor in America is uh, gonna be a black guy from the hood who grew up with every disadvantage, real hood, like in the hood hood, like where, the, where people were like, yo, cuz, let's go kill some motherfuckers today. I want my doctor to be the guy that said, no, man, I'm gonna be a doctor. And everybody in the hood was like, ain't nobody fuck with DeVarrell. He gonna be a doctor in shit. That's how I know I got the right doctor, because he'll say, in shit, at the end of sentences. He'll look pissed off when I walk into the doctor's office. That's the doctor I want. I'm Mr. Peters. Seems your nasal passage is inflamed in shit. Did you fill out this little bitch-ass prescription? Holla at me tomorrow, motherfucker. Fit the mark for the beats, I repeat.
religion is the beat. I repeat, my religion is the beat. <laughs> I ran into a situation where I was in uh, in one of our PBLs, one of the small group learning things. Problem-based learning. And it's groups. basically, you know, 10 people, 10 med students, and we're basically teaching each other. That's the way it works, you know, for the first two years of med school. You have these classes. And uh, I had a, a, a run-in with a, one of the instructors who was leading the, the class. I said something. I was doing my learning objective thing. I was presenting to the to the to the class, and he stops and he asks the class, "Do you guys understand him?" And I thought to myself, "Whoa, what did I say that he that would prompt him to ask in kind of that condescending tone? Do they understand me?" And this was first year, so I'm wearing like my LRG jeans. I'm wearing yes. like you know a, 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 a starter jacket. And I got like my California Angels cap on backwards, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying, I'm looking at the faces of all the people in, in, in the class and I'm trying to figure out like, whoa, what did I say? I mean, I, I know for sure I didn't start the, you know, my presentation with, yo, 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 what's up? Like, here's my, you know, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of let him go and everybody said, yes, they all understood. And then he said, he proceeded to say literally exactly what I said, which confused me more because then I thought, what did I say? Because I thought that's exactly what I said. Yeah. So anyway, he repeats it, and then the, the the I was the last person to go. So after that, okay, any questions? No. He gets up and leaves. So now I'm really self-conscious about it because I'm walking into class, and first off, I'm not talking to anybody. I don't know these people. I don't want to know these people. I, I was in in the sort of mind frame where we're from different places, man. And I had so many little interactions with students where they'd say, oh, you clean up well when I had to wear a tie. And I was like, what am I, fucking hobo? Would you find me on the street? And like, I clean up oh, well? no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. That, that's not what I meant. But I, so I would just give them that look. And then I had those odd conversations where other med students would come up to me and say, oh, what's your portfolio look like? What the fuck are you talking about? Portfolio? Like stock portfolio? Yeah. And, like, like, and this kid says, oh, your parents don't buy you stocks? What? And I was like, uh, Nah, dude. My parents don't buy me stocks. And he's like, Oh, well, you. This if is, they did. Hold on, but this is how yeah. not, this is how ridiculously in a different world this kid is from. He says to me, uh, Oh, your parents don't buy you stocks. Well, you should really talk to them. They should buy you stocks. Wow. And I was like, uh, Yeah, dude. I know what wow. stocks are, but that's this conversation's culture, over. That's, that's what I said that's to the kid. Culture shock right? right there. Yeah. So this is all first year, right? So I'm thinking like, Oh man, I, I really don't like this place. So I just stopped talking to people. I was like, I'm, You're not gonna understand where I'm from. I don't understand where you're from. Just let me get through med school and get the hell out of here. Um, so somehow this rumor started that my dad was a plastic surgeon. Some girl came up to me. Because at this point, people wanted to know me, but I wasn't like making myself available. So these rumors would just start, right? So this girl says, oh, your dad's in plastics, right? And I was like, yeah, my dad's in plastics. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that perpetuated it for another good year and a half that my dad was a plastic surgeon and all this stuff. So, um, But I was really distant from everybody. And so it was a weird sort of, wow, like... What exactly is my role in this? I, like, when people look at me, am I like the Spanish kid? Am I, am I that guy? And it really started to bug me because then, like you said earlier, then I started to better understand uh, whether I like it or not. I'm representing a lot more than just me. Yep. You know, what, like whether I want that to be the case or not, that's what it's going to be. So uh, it it was a burden man because another time in pbl somebody said well no no no." david said that people in those neighborhoods a girl said and i'm sitting right there 
and I stopped her. I was like, those. Yeah, and I said, uh, first off, I am not the hood representative for poverty. Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I didn't hear anything, I was like, oh, what, but... are you, what are you talking about? And she's like, no, isn't that what you said? That's, that's an awful thing to say, man. Like, I don't, I told you what I know. Right? I told you what, what my experience is. That's not, I don't represent every poor neighborhood. What yeah. is wrong with you to yeah. even think that? Yeah. You know, but I, it, it became a weird sort of, I became hyper aware of it, you know? I feel like you have a lot of these stories. Yeah, but I think I put myself in a lot of these situations, you know? Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? Who are they, goddamn? <laughs> See, the sad thing about a guy like you is in 50 years, you're going to start doing some thinking on your own, and you're going to come up with the fact that there are two certainties in life. One, don't do that. And two, you dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for a dollar fifty in late charges at the public library. <laughs> yeah, but I will have a degree, and you'll be serving my kids fries at a drive-through on our way to a skiing trip. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, but at least I won't be unoriginal. But I mean, if you have a problem like that, I mean, we could just step outside. We could figure it out. No, man, there's no problem. It's cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. Damn right, it's cool. How you like me now? <laughs> My boy's wicked smart. What was that? What was that one thing that happened where you were like in a meeting? I don't know if it was like a, a, a diversity meeting, and that inherently just has disaster written all over it, <laughs> like, a, like a diversity day of any sort. Yeah, but um. It was involving that like mousy looking librarian, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at what the, happened with that? At the time, uh, Emmanuel and myself were like the only two real uh, uh, minority males. They would send out these emails, these diversity uh, 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 awareness uh, faculty meetings, right? Mm -hmm. But at the time, the um, email system was messed up because if you sent out an email and somebody a blind carbon copied a bunch of people, if you hit reply all, it would show you all the people that were carbon copied on that. So you weren't supposed to see that. Right. Well, I saw that it was just me and Emmanuel that, nice. that they asked to be at this meeting. So Emmanuel's like, I'm not going to that shit. And I was like, dude, well, one of us has to go or we're both dead. Right. And he's like, well, I'm not going. So I said, all right, I'll go. So I go, and at the time, a, a new lady had come on, uh, a black woman who's now one of the deans, mm -hmm. uh, had just come on. So she was the one that was leading these lectures. And in these lectures were other professors, people from the lab, and the librarian. Anyway, so uh, we're sitting in these lectures, and uh, the, the dean lady is, is showing the diversity of the student body, right? So she shows the mean income for the parents of the med students, right? It's 160000 I think. And I'm like, whoa. And they said, then they broke it down into these bar graphs where it was how many students families made over you know, a certain amount. So most of them were in the 100K, you know, and it, the lowest it goes is 30000 And I know for a fact that my mom made 18000 that year I knew for a fact that was the amount so I'm like fuck I gotta be that guy so I raised my hand and I said look I don't want to be that guy but if you're teaching these people about the diversity of our student right. you know body I'm not up there who, so who's this representing is this our class she's like yeah this is a, your class 
I was like, no, it's not, because I know for a fact, it only goes to 30,000. So just, you know, just make a note of it, change it, I don't know. But it should include everybody. Sure. Uh, she apologized. I'm sorry about that. It was an oversight, whatever. Okay, cool. Very next slide shows the average education of, of the parents, right? Vast majority college, college graduates, um, and then, you know, percentage PhD, MDs, and, you know, PharmDs. Um, the lowest they had was high school grad. So I'm like, I raised my hand. I'm like, look, my mom only finished the seventh grade. Like, I, again, I don't want to be that guy, but it should be fair. If, you, if, if you're going to teach people about how diverse you are, yeah. fucking, what are you, ashamed? Like, I'm here. Like, there's nothing you're going to do about it when you feel bad now that somebody's mom only finished seventh grade and you got to sit next to them in class. Like, is that what that's about? Or, again, another apology. We're so sorry. Okay, whatever. Um, so we go through this whole lecture, and, and then they break us up into smaller groups in, in these little rooms. So I'm in with the librarian lady. We get into this debate, right? They're talking about something. I don't know. And it gets to her. And in the conversation, before she starts, she puts her hand out towards me. And she's not looking at me, right? She just goes, and I know, I know you had a really, really rough life. Oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> and and I, was, I was beside my, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Never once did I say to you, I had a hard life. I did not say that. There's people in Somalia who have a hard life. I know what a hard life looks like. I know my life wasn't the best one ever, but I never once said to you, I lived a hard life. And then she just did. Oh, the, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, she was, you know, half afraid I was going to stab her, half afraid she was going to lose her job. You know, like, so, so it, it was it was the most, like, vile sort of, it was just gross to, to understand that when she was hearing what I was saying, she was equating that with me being this kid who had a, a hard life in her head. I had a rough life. In one of these same groups, I said, you guys remember the pedigree we had to do? Uh, where you had to do yeah, like family tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mine are like, I'm a, I'm asking questions like, what's the sign for like shot to death? Like, so the exercise was going through your family tree right. and you know documenting what medical conditions right. your your family running your, your family your pedigree had. Yeah. yeah, and mine are like gunshots and alcoholism, and I'm like, how do you? And so they're looking at me like, uh, just just color it in, <laughs> just color it in, right? And I, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, this is. Medicine Remixed on no other place but here on Anchor. Hey D, hey Reesh, this is Brian over at My Mental Download. I'm listening to your stories, man, and I'm just like, damn. Just damn. How do these people even function in in real life? I just, it doesn't, it just blows my mind. This reminds me of a story my sister her, she had this friend who lived in the super rich neighborhood, and she had this brand new uh, BMW SUV. Girl, sixteen. She totals it. What does her dad do? Buys her another one. You're like, I don't, I don't even know how that computes. Like that just doesn't even compute for me. 
My parents didn't buy me a car, let alone a BMW that I crashed, and then they bought me another one. <sighs> White privilege, man. It's awful. Anyway, keep up the great work. Talk to you later. What's really good, Anchor Hood? It's your boy, Reesh. It's his station, Medicine Remixed. And thank you for the call-ins. As always, if we haven't gotten back to your call-in yet, we haven't forgotten. We're trying to slowly get to all of them, so stay tuned, stay patient, stay understanding, and we appreciate the fuck out of everyone that listens to us for any amount of time. So thanks for that. You guys and gals are the truth. Uh, Big ups to Brian from The Mental Download. Thanks for the call-in and sharing that perspective on white privilege. Definitely a real thing. But I almost think that the example you given that call-in was more an example of privilege in general and not necessarily white privilege, you know? Like, my parents are immigrants from India. My dad came to New York City in the late 70s from a small village in South India. And I'm talking a real village, not like fucking... Greenwich Village or some shit like that, you know, that must have been so confusing for my dad when he came to this country, by the way. But anyway, I'm first generation Indian American and I grew up knowing plenty of kids with brown privilege, if you will, never having to struggle for shit, being crippled by the silver platters and spoons given to them by their parents and basically turning out to be shitty human beings as a result. And I won't front, my sister and I had it pretty fucking made when I compare my childhood to say Dee's childhood, but part of the reason I think we turned out different than a lot of our spoiled brat peers is that we witnessed my dad's come up. We observed the struggle. Even though we were young, we understood how hard he worked for a better life for us. And it's interesting that you bring up that story about the spoiled 16-year-old that was totaling beamers without consequences because I think one of the most vivid memories that I had regarding cars and spoiled rich kids that may have actually set the tone for how much I'm not driven by money to this day. And it was actually in the second grade. In the middle of the second grade, my parents decided to move from Queens, New York to an up-and-coming upper-middle-class neighborhood in uh, eastern Long Island. So. I was the new brown kid moving to a predominantly white elementary school during the height of the cooties epidemic and that too in the middle of the fucking school year during second grade when kids are getting mean as fuck. So in an effort to ease my nerves, my mom took my sister and I to the elementary school we would be attending a day before we would start so we could get somewhat acclimated and so we could play on the enticing playground on the school grounds and we had the whole playground to ourselves it was awesome and then on our way back to our honda accord a sports car that had never before seen and would later find out was a porsche pulls up parks and an indian man gets out with his son that i would find out was also a second grader at my soon-to-be new school my mom started talking to his dad, who was a doctor, and I played with this kid who I was really hoping would be my first new friend in a scary new place. 
Well, the next day I looked for him in my class and he wasn't there. And at that age, anytime we left the classroom, we would line up single file paired with one of our classmates. And I remember on the first day going to an assembly or something like that. And I saw this Indian kid from the playground lined up with his own second grade class. So naturally I called his name to say what's up. And what happened next is something that will be burned in my mind forever. He turns to his hall buddy, Tommy Butler. I'll never forget it. And he goes, that kid just wants to be friends with me because my dad has a Porsche. Again, we're in second grade. I was so confused because I didn't even understand what he was implying. I didn't even know what a Porsche was until I asked my dad later that night. And so I really do think that experience kind of shaped me to almost despise money and anyone whose identity was caught up in that type of privilege. So yeah, privilege without humility, no matter what color you are, I think is a horrible thing. So anyway, thanks for the call in, man. We have a ton of new content coming up this week. A lot of it actually does touch on this topic of race and privilege, but more in the context of healthcare. So stay tuned and keep the call-ins coming. You're listening to Medicine Remixed only on Anchor. Hey, Rish, it's Brian from My Mental Download. You are totally correct. There is a difference between, we'll call it green privilege and and white privilege. I just happened to have a story of my own that wasn't necessarily about white privilege, but I was just like something that just boggled my mind uh, in that same way, uh, not to um, equate D's story to my story. It was just more of um, since there's only a minute, I went and I was like, okay, I'm going to quickly wrap it back into what they were talking, what you know, like what they were talking about. And, and it, apparently I just, uh, my message was lost. And so I do, uh, I do apologize for that. So I hope you're doing well and uh, take it easy, man. Hey, medicine remix. How y'all doing? It's been a minute. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I saw this your story reach i saw your story or i listened to your story about the kid who said that your dad that you only wanted to be friends with him because of the porsche and i was like what kind of nonsense i just <sighs> kids can be so cruel honestly like kids can just be so cruel um your uh, example though like that example is definitely a huge example i think of like class privilege which is also like why intersectionality and stuff and all of these things like they matter because sometimes people with class privilege even though they're people of color they do a lot of like messed up shit because they think that they're better off which is again privilege and it's actually interesting too um And yeah, it's just, it's interesting to me because I also feel like, well, I had a similar background in that, like, my, like, I saw my parents, like, struggle and, like, I saw my dads come up. I saw my mom and dads come up 
and I know what they went through but when I went to like secondary school for example people thought I was born with like a silver spoon in my mouth and they had no idea just because I'd like because I have this accent and I went to school secondary school in Nigeria they had no idea of the struggle that I had seen and what my life had actually been like um, with my dad and like you know with my parents and like what we'd actually been through to see my dad get to the point that he did get to you know and so it's just it's a whole thing I think privilege is definitely an, an interesting conversation because there are lots of different stories um, really human stories behind it Chilling, chilling. What's good? Yo, I just randomly started going through. Remember when we were like Skyping, trying to do those like oh, yeah, cam yeah. like captures? And so anyway, yeah. so I was like uh, looking up one of the earlier ones that we did. It was the one where uh, I don't even know if you, you remember. I, like I totally forgot about it. I felt like I was actually experiencing it for the first time. But it was just so good. And it was the one where you're telling me about this patient, like a demented patient, but the wife in the encounter was like, are you Indian? I got fired by a patient. You don't love me no more? I've only been fired by two patients, but I got fired by one last week. Another one. And you'll like this. So I'm, I'm sitting at my desk and I have, they give us a shitty fucking Windows computer, right? That's always freezing up and shit. So I always bring the laptop to have in case my, my shitty work issue one gives out, which is like 50% of the time. Yeah. So uh, I have my other one open. I have this demented patient. He's like 65 and his wife. And uh, the guy's pleasant as shit. He's like pleasantly demented. Nice guy. And the fucking lady, she goes, uh, are you Indian? And I, I kind of stopped. Stop. I don't have really shit in my office. So yeah. I, I said, no, 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 I'm not. But thanks for asking. <laughs> and she goes, you're a Hindu, aren't you? Seriously? And I was like, mm, wrong again. But if you don't mind, I'd like to finish interviewing your husband. And she's like, well, you obviously don't believe in Jesus. So we want another doctor. Oh, God. Damn. And I was like, all right, if you don't mind, I'd like to finish interviewing your husband. I asked him some questions and, and she completely like, she wants out like now. She doesn't want to talk to me. She's, she's, she's done talking to me. Can you not ask her to, because she's not the patient. He, right. And I and I said that to her. I said, you know, with all due respect, your husband's my patient. So I, I need to ask him some questions. So we're done. We're done. We. I want another doctor. Whoa there. I said, all right. Calmly got up. I went over to my attending and I said, hey, uh, you know, the patient's wife is in there kind of ranting and raving. And uh, she said a bunch of things that, I mean, I guess aren't disrespectful, but not part of the interview. So he's like, all right, well, let's, let's go see him. We go and they're gone. And uh, like an hour later, I get a call from some fucking administrator. They, they called... They got up to the corporate. They said that they, they've they never had a more disrespectful doctor. Seriously? And, all this and everybody knows it's not true, right? But I mean, they have to go through the fucking channels of it all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and it's funny because my attending was, you know, he's a white guy. He goes, well, don't bring her into my office. He's got all kinds of, like, Buddhist and Indian gods. Like, he's... Oh, really? Yeah, the guy's into Tai Chi and shit. He's like, okay. I don't bring her in here. She'll fucking explode. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, it was just such an odd... And I was like, I'm not white but i'm certainly not the brownest person so i'm like i wonder what and then i shut my computer and i have a buddha head a little one in the middle of the apple uh, in the back of the computer that you can't see right yeah. so she saw that yeah. and just fucking blew a gasket right no god no god please no
No! And it was funny because mm, no part of me was offended or anything like that, but people always say like, oh, you need to put stuff up in your office. And I'm like, yeah, well, I have to remember that I'm a psychiatrist and I don't want people to feel like everything's a test. Right. You know, like if I put up a, a piece of art and, you know, they fucking think that I'm like trying to be all fucking new agey and shit. But it was funny because it still bothered me. Like it was one of those things where even if I was Hindu, even if I was in, who gives a fuck? I'm surprised that shit doesn't happen every day down in the yeah. deep south where you're trading psychiatrists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. it I think it would if I wasn't, if I didn't go the extra mile. Cause I go the extra mile for my patients. I probably shouldn't, I guess, but like I'm fucking on the phone with like drug reps and shit, trying to get like free samples and, and prescription coverage and all that shit. So I think I go pretty hard for them cause a lot of them are like poor older white folks. But um, it was funny because it was just a weird sort of like, I'm not going to fix that, you know, and nor should I expect myself to. But if I were a surgeon, that would be the last thing on my mind. I wouldn't give a fuck what she said to me, you know, like that. You're going to be asleep in two seconds. And right. I do what I need to do. Exactly. Bro. Exactly. And, and, and even though I know that their shitty existence will continue, no part of me feels obligated to fix but I'm in a weird fucking like realm where I almost feel obligated to fix those things, you know, like these personality flaws. And uh -huh. so much of what I see is I, I, I think I can characterize as character pathology. But I mean, I don't know, when you're 60 years old and you're fucking racist, I, I shouldn't care, I guess. What I heard the wife in the encounter was like, are you Indian? And oh. you were like, no, but thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was like, you're a Hindu, right? And you were like, no. And then she was like, whatever you are, you don't believe in Jesus. You're a Hindu, right? I'm gonna have to go. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, so I guess you're a Hindon't. I guess that's what you are. <laughs> Support for today's Medicine Remix show comes from Haterol, or as I like to call it, Haterol, the first prescription drug for attitude deficit hater activity disorder, the lesser known ADHD. Do you follow people on social media for the sole purpose of hating on their entire life? Can you not remember the last nice thing you said about anyone? Do you hate Beyonce? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you may have Attitude Deficit Hater Activity Disorder, aka Hater ADHD. Here's a little hack to tell if you might be a hater. If you run into a hater once in a while, that's completely normal. If you run into haters all day, every day, it's very possible that you, in fact, are the hater. If that sounds like you, no worries. You see, Fake Farm believes that haters are people too, but there are certain kinds of people with certain kinds of chemical imbalances in certain areas of their brains, which can make it more difficult to see the good in other people and have anything nice to say about anybody. Haters are also more likely to turn to posting negative comments or reviews and talking about people behind their backs as a feel-good outlet or a form of self-medication. Being a hater can affect a sufferer's social life, like when they stay at home to troll instead of being down to roll with the homies. 
If attitude deficit hater activity is diagnosed, haters may also learn to manage their behavioral symptoms with things like hugs, gratitude journals, and even hater support groups. If you're thinking to yourself, Reesh, ain't nobody got time for all that. Well, maybe you should ask your doctor if Hatterall might be right for you. But between us, it already sounds like it just might be. Hatterall. Life is too short to hate. Now, back to trying to remix the love back into modern medicine only on Medicine Remixed. Like anytime the deer population gets out of control, some dude will literally get on TV and be like, all right, the deer population is up to about 17, 1800. Realistically, we need to get that number down to about five, six of them, all right? <laughs> to start them off, you got a gun, fucking shoot one in the face. I'm just sitting at home like, what are the deer doing that's so bad for the environment, you know? They're gonna eat all the fucking grass. They're coming up to trees, just nibbling. Just nibbling. Dude, the deer didn't put a hole in the ozone layer, all right? That's not a bunch of dogs clogging up the freeways. It's us, right? We can fuck all we want. No one's gonna stop you. Could have, you could have 15 kids, have a 16th on the way. No one's gonna get on TV and be like, all right, Paul is still fucking. Starting them off, you got a gun, fucking shoot him in the face. Do what you gotta do, this guy, he's out of control. No, it's great. You can just keep banging away. You can just keep banging away, making one useless, mediocre, not gonna invent shit kid after another. <laughs> no, I don't understand people like that. Say, don't you realize after your third loser kid, you don't have the DNA to make somebody special? Like, what are you doing? All you're doing, you're just making more in the way people just walking around, looking up at shit as you're trying to get down the sidewalk, you know? Or you know that dude, whenever you go into the deli, there's always that guy in front of you doesn't know what he wants. Oh, what, kind of, what kind of bread is that? It's like, dude, stop making that fucking guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that dude, that dude is everywhere. No, that's my solution for global warming. Everybody's talking about cars and oil. That doesn't matter. It's just too many people, you know, it's too many people doing it. It's just, you know, you want to help the environment, just stop fucking. I'm not saying stop fucking, but, you know, pull out. You can still have your fun, right? But you got to stop looking at babies like they're these cute things, all right? They're not. They are. They are cute, but most of them are just going to grow up. It's going to end up being another shithead in like an SUV that doesn't pull out far enough into the intersection, right? Now you got to wait a whole nother light to make a left. And you're just sitting there losing your shit, screaming at your windshield with this dude who didn't need to exist. It's like, there's no reason for that guy. We got that guy. down to like life philosophy an operating system you know yeah it's true and i mean i don't know when you're 60 years old and you're fucking racist i, I... you never upgraded your your operating system you're still using like ms dos or some shit <laughs> like... yeah and, and it's funny because a lot of them are so rural man uh... that there'd be no impetus for change the fucker what are they they live in a trailer in a fucking town of like 800 people right. personal growth or encouraging somebody to find purpose dude when you're 45 years old and you know you're obese Whoa. and you, there's no job 
that you can find in your little shitty town and I'm sitting here asking you like so what are your hobbies right and they're like I fucking sit and watch TV yeah and it's like yeah but what do you like to do fucking I just sit and watch TV baby baby plus the age old adage of you're the average of the five people around you or whatever it is right right and yeah everybody around them is exactly the same and yeah. people that raised them were exactly the same so that that's that's tough man they don't want to see us win especially in a very homogenous environment like that well, it makes me wonder does everybody have purpose like i, I know it's fucked up but worse a generous number is what like I, I tell people all the time what's your take i and i'm being generous with this i say this nationally i think three out of ten people are, are like legit morons like just they're fucking more not bad people per se by their own doing they're just fucking morons yeah. and yeah okay what does that mean like oh, for me to deem something be the best they're just fucking morons like there's no there's not enough go power in their brain put some respect on my name to even get them to be to a place where i would deem them useful it's tough to have the patience and spend the time to go digging to prove this thesis correct, but I don't know if it was like Bill Nye or Bill Nye the science guy. There's like some quote to the effect of everybody knows something that you know nothing about. Yes, sir. Right? Sure. I do believe that like this person might be able to teach me about, you know, maintenance of a trailer that I know right. about. Right, yeah, 100%. Technically, maybe there's something that this person could teach me, but in the context of our daily interactions with these people, it's very difficult to see that. Dude, stop making that fucking guy! Nor is it something necessarily that you're trying to go out of your way to right. prove that thesis. Right. But I try to challenge myself to do that. It doesn't always work out that way, uh. but having that lens on the world that, you know, everybody does know something that I don't, or to put it another way, like, this is an interesting one. Have you ever heard of Brene Brown? Woo! She's like she's like a social scientist. And I think her background is actually in social work, but then when she wound up getting a PhD, she, she had like a TED Talk that went viral called the, the power of vulnerability. Because when we work from a place, I believe, that says I'm enough, then we stop screaming and start listening. We're kinder and gentler to the people around us and we're kinder and gentler to ourselves. And in one of her books, she talks about this idea that there's like two types of people in the world. One is the type of person that doesn't believe that everybody's doing the best that they can. Mm. Other worldview is that everybody is doing the best that they can. Major key. Do you think everybody's doing the best that they can? <laughs> you unknowingly have dug up like a 11th grade conversation that I got in an argument. We were talking about some girl and he said, man, she's just working with what she's got. Right. And I said, fucking everybody's working with what they got. Like, what kind of, of course, no one's working with what they don't got, you fucking dummy. You know, and he was like, no, 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 like, you can have it, but not work with it. And I was like, well, then you don't have it. Like, everybody is working with what, so we got into this argument, of this, and I think it's, it's funny, because I think you more eloquently asked the same question. And I think, I think the problem with it is, is, is that uh, I think we believe we're working with what we got. And I think everybody is working with what they think they got. The question is, how much do they really have? And I foolishly think sometimes, I think 
to my own demise, think people aren't working to their full potential. Uh -huh. And I don't think that's fair, but I think I take the losses <laughs> because I know that that one person who I might push to work with what they've got is worth it and might be a big payout. But man, I see some people that I think they might, that's probably all they got. I might be everything and it may not be shit. Like you said, oh, somebody might know something that I don't. Here's the caveat to that. You're right. You're absolutely right, I think. But they may be able to teach you everything that they know that you don't in about five minutes. Yeah. So now what? Now you've absorbed their purpose. Maybe. Just because you know how to do it, this is the other thing, doesn't mean you're going to do that. Right. They can teach you how to like fix a toilet, but you don't want to fix toilets for the rest of your life. That's not necessarily what your purpose is. You right. A lot of knowledge about something, but you don't necessarily identify that as being your purpose. Right. So one of the things that happened in this research is this question emerged. Are people doing the best they can? And of course my answer was, hell no. <laughs> oh my God, hell no, they're not doing the best they can. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. <laughs> right, and so here's the thing, are people doing the, and I was like, oh no, no, they're not doing the best they can. And so my therapist really pushed me on this. And so I was like, when I'm pushed in something in therapy, I usually open up a research study on it to disprove, <laughs> to disprove my therapist. So I started asking, interviewing hundreds of people, like we're asking, like, do you believe people are doing the best they can? And so we, we don't know the answer. There's no, there's, there's no research answer. There's no definitive answer. But my husband was like so brilliant. So I said, do you think people are doing the best they can? And this was after probably 50 interviews where it was completely saturated. Well, here's what I was learning. The people who said, oh, hell no, were absolutely the people who were hardest on themselves, struggled with perfectionism. And the people who said, yeah, I think in general people are, were much kinder to themselves and much more fell into the wholehearted category. And so my husband's like, thinking about it and he's a pediatrician so he sees the worst in people and the best in people and he his answer was so profound he said I'm not sure whether they are or not but when I move through the world assuming they are it makes my life better and so what I came to the conclusion of and so I call it living big in the book because people who assume normally that they're not are people who usually lack boundaries like myself because I'm constantly pissed off wondering why you're doing all these dumb things are you trying to aggravate me on purpose why don't you make better choices why are you putting all us through you know but the question becomes this think about your person you got your person in your mind what boundaries need to be in place for you so you can stay in your integrity and extend the most generous assumption about this person what boundaries do you need to put in place to stay in your integrity and be generous toward this person so for me it would mean if that person's really doing the best they can and I want to be generous I need to put some boundaries around my relationship with this person and say I got to stop trying to fix you and help you out in return for an unspoken condition that I'm putting on our relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I did this with a group of priests and deacons in the Episcopal Church and I asked everyone in the room to think of someone and this couple who were both deacons in West Texas, very tough rural, um, they both thought of the same person. And when I said what boundaries need to be in place and why does this person bring up so much judgment? And they said we keep bringing money and diapers and formula and they're, you know, they have six kids and they live in this trailer with electricity and he sells the diapers and the formula sometimes for money to gamble and they were just like we can't stay out of judgment with this person and I said so what boundaries would need to be in place for you to stay in your integrity and be generous toward this person and they both just they were a couple and they just started crying and they said either bring stuff and leave it with grace or stop helping but the thing that's not working is we just keep going and judging and yeah. judging does that make sense yeah. and so I think that quote 
not ascribed to malice, what could be otherwise explained by incompetence or any other. A thousand things, right? And so for me, it's always what boundaries need to be in place so I can be in my integrity and be generous toward other people. What I'm better at doing is not saying anything, not setting any boundaries, and then talking bad about you later, right? Yeah, and then you're taking that badness and you're passing it on in the trust vault to somebody else and you're eroding that relationship that you have. It's sort of like a bad set of dominoes. It's a bad set of dominoes and it's exhausting. So I think whenever I'm wondering why everyone's trying to piss me off on purpose, I go back to the living big, right? Yeah. The thing that always gets me is that of all the people you're going to display your racism to, it shouldn't be somebody who potentially could kill you. Major killer. Exactly. Or like the person that's supposed to be saving your life, you know? Right. Right. It's it's so interesting because like on the flip, like on the provider side, you took an oath, like regardless of who that person is on the other end, it's your duty. Did I ever tell you, I think it was my last year of residency, I was on the trauma service, you know, very busy time of the year too. And there's this dude, you know, I was just coming on to the service. So the, the other chief resident that was on before me doing the handoff and uh, I was going down the patient list. And he was telling me about this one patient. He was like, yeah, this patient had a open tibia fracture. The guy like fell off a ladder or something like that and had this big open ankle fracture and a tibia fracture. Oh, so God. they had to put his leg in an X-fix, you know, like like the erector set outside of the leg. And so he had to get like a stage surgery and the reason I bring it up is the chief resident that was on he's like doing the sign out he was like oh yeah this is the dude that has a KKK tattoo hold up KKK seriously on the leg that he grows and I was like yo that's I was like what does the KKK stand for like karma 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 (laughs) that's a karmic injury right there Uh, but like and it was like the most fucked up tattoo because it was like a Klansman with like a burning cross and like a And just in case another one, you weren't sure like what that represented. uh, On the top of it, it said white, and on the on the bottom, it said power. Real life. And I was just like, what? Oh my god! But (laughs) yo, you know what was so interesting about the whole thing? Because I had to round on this guy every day. I wound up doing like a bunch of those surgeries, Uh, and it was so funny because the way that the service is set up, there's a senior resident and a junior resident on, and the junior resident that was on, he was another. Indian dude. So I was like, this is going to be fun every morning. Like, we just walk in and just be like, welcome to hell, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, you might know taking care of you. But what was so interesting, man, of all the people we had to round on, on that service, and it's pretty, like, notorious service. Uh, you know, there's a lot of dirtbags that, that wind up, like, really hurting themselves for maybe obvious reasons. Uh, but what was so interesting about this particular patient is, like he was by far the nicest one. What? Okay, He was like, you know? and I always thought that was so interesting because I was like, I really wonder what's happening there. Is, uh, is this like he understands the context and the irony of all of this? I'm overwhelmed by the irony. Uh, is like very aware that of what's happening, so he's being extra nice, or right. is this like he did something stupid when he was younger and he's right. 
was like now embarrassed. Uh, I was always curious. Of course, you have way too much to do to ever try to investigate sure. something like that. Bro. I would hope it was the latter, uh, or he was just like completely oblivious right. to all of it. Bro. Who knows? But it's funny. I mean, I guess those are all possible scenarios. You know, I mean, I've unfortunately had those experiences where you'll go and you're gonna you're changing a dressing on somebody or something, and and it, the best part is when you cared for them for like a you know a couple of days that they've been in the hospital and one day you're up so you're gonna change wound dressing or whatever uh, or they got a wound back on and you're just checking to make sure you know everything's dry whatever the case is uh, they roll over and they got this giant fucking clan tattoo on their back and yeah you know at that at that point you've already developed like a little bit of rapport with them so you you know you you kind of know them and they don't say anything about it you know like they don't yeah like, oh yo you know my bad about the extremely racist shit on my back you know like, like uh, yeah, the racist elephant in the room right nothing hi bird i'm sick I need some smack burn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't say shit, and you're left wondering, like, wow, there's only a couple of scenarios that are possible here. You know, one is, like you mentioned, they did this when they were a kid. It means nothing to them emotionally anymore. Uh, you know, it's just like they forgot about it. It might as well be like a, a mistake, mole on yeah. the back. Or they know that you potentially could make them spiral downward in terms of health, so they want to keep it cool, so they don't say anything. Uh, or they're still, in fact, very racist, and they just, they're happy you know now you know <laughs> like, like, right yeah those are all possible i guess you know that story that you told from back in the day with that woman yeah. that's like at the doctor and like imagine maybe like an emergency situation even it's like how racist are you that you're like ah, you know what i think i, uh, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do but i'm gonna wait for the yeah. white doctor and it's like what ma'am your, your, your <laughs> husband's bleeding uncontrollably like you know we have to take him now it's like oh, i'm gonna take my chances i gotta be honest <laughs> they've done studies you know 60% of the time, it works every time. What? How long is the wait? How long is the wait? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. That's quite racialist, to be honest. To be like, you know what? I can't have you try to help my husband. You can't hold your racism for like 10 minutes. You just don't know how to hold. 15 minutes is like, oh my God. Nah. Kind of reminds yeah. me of, of what we talked about on that RoboCop episode when that one cop in the nurse and he's like you know fucking arresting her because she won't draw blood on that patient that you guys agree to with this hospital the three things that allow us to do that are if you have an electronic warrant patient consent or patient under arrest and neither of those things the patient can't consent he told me repeatedly that he doesn't have a warrant and the patient is not under arrest so i'm just trying to do the, what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's all. So. Okay, so I take it without those in place, I'm not going yeah. to get blood. Is that... Am, am I fair to surmise that? She's not, she's not being fucking egregious. She's not... No. Like, the, 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 the fucked up part is, is that, that that officer is a dickhead. Why are you blaming the messenger, sir? She's the one that has told me no. Yeah, but sir, you're making a huge mistake right now. Okay. 
And I, I don't know him. I don't know what his deal is. He might be a great father, a grandfather. I don't know who the fuck he is. But he's a dickhead, but not a bad guy. Like, I like I'm, I was watching it, and I, I only watched it twice because uh, the first time I was just, like, in my head playing, like, all right, what would I have done or how would I have done this differently? But you could see his frustration on that dude's face for that split second where he enters the screen where he's like, no, that's it. You're done. You're getting arrested. That works. Like, you know, there's a human being there who has made a poor decision, uh-huh. and you can kind of tell that he knows it, but he's doubling down on it now, you know? Yeah. And you get that a lot from patients, I think, where, you know, they'll kind of double down on just a, a bad decision. Real life. But it's kind of hard to think of that scenario where, because you know, you know it's happened. You know people have, like, gone to emergency rooms, saw that it was a black guy or an Indian guy or a Spanish guy. And just said, fuck it, we'll go to the next one. Yeah, I guess that has to happen yeah. somewhere. And that. Some lifters may find the following audio disturbing. The lifter's discretion is advised. I gave you fair warning, beware. Please see a white doctor. It's only available after four. If you're not, so you're saying in the whole entire building there isn't one white doctor? Uh, you're to have to my okay, so you're telling me that my kid has chest pains, he's gonna have to sit here until four o'clock. Can I see a doctor, please, that's white? He doesn't have brown teeth, yeah, so I don't know. Speaking English is doctor. one thing, being white is different. The doctor who was not white that did not help my kid. I would like to see a white doctor. You're telling me there's not one white doctor in this whole entire building. Oh my god, well, what's the closest that you have to speaking English? No, no, I stood there, and they only okay, have brown doctors, and they're not all my kids. My kids' chest is hurting. Okay, so that's why you have to go there. Oh my god, what type of horrible country do I live in? So I want to see somebody else that doesn't have brown teeth that speaks English. How are you communicating to everyone? Everyone's incapable of speaking English. They're licensed, that's why they're here. Being white in this country, I should just shoot myself. My kid is part not white, so can we get somebody to see him that at least speaks English? There must be one person that he was not speaking English. His teeth were brown. I do not need his help. His chest is hurting and he's sick. I'm not going there with all those packed doctors. I don't have money to go to church. There's got to be somebody that speaks English. Your child clearly has more issues with you than him needing to see a doctor. You are extremely rude and racist. You want to talk about packing people being in a hospital? Maybe you should check yourself. You're proud, you're all the time. I'm because you're racist. No, because I'm white. You're packing me. You're general. Step back.
there's no child brought into this world hating. That's like something that was generated by noise, like just stuff that they heard, like, you know, by either their parents or their peers or, you know, the, the, that's how they were programmed. Like the whole idea of like, it, it was always so interesting to me how like TV was always like referred to as programming. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. It's like these these things, this, this media, this culture, all of these things, it breeds a certain type of person. This is nature versus nurture. This is like that nurture piece is so freaking huge. Like who, who our friends are, like, you know, what type of noise that we allow like to to shape us like that is everything i feel like that is really everything like and, and that's why i think there's just so much potential in in creating content especially now at a time like now where it's like how do you get everybody to realize like the one fucking truth that we're all fucking connected that we're all part of the same being and it's like if you can get every fucking cell every person every like being on this planet to realize that we're all connected at the same time that is the equivalent of like that one moment of like you like being in harmony when you're meditating like when every being is able to do that on like a social level like that now the universe has like recognized itself and then you know that's that's that space salvation. yeah that's the space in between death and rebirth like that that realization that we are all connected it's all love we're all together like as you know hippy dippy as that might sound that's fucking it like when you can get everything to synchronize in harmony we're all singing the same tune be your true self or die trying that's the name of the song you know, that's the name of the song that we're all trying to sing. Achieving that harmony is like, is is the goal. That's what we're constantly trying to get to, like a state of harmony, but there are, it's just all this noise. Columbus Day is a big holiday in New York, where all the city's Italian-American community have a huge parade and celebration. But not everybody enjoyed the day off. Here to share his own unique perspective on this is totally biased writer and Indian-American, Hurry Kondabolu, hurry! <laughs> Christopher Columbus was a demon. Yeah. He, was, he was a fraud who murdered and enslaved thousands of Native Americans. But that's not the only reason I hate him. It's also personal. <laughs> Columbus is why I have to tell people that I'm Indian from India. For real? Of course I am. That's where Indians originally come from. India, the factory that makes them. But if you're a Columbus, they apparently can come from the Caribbean, New England, South America, Staten Island, an abandoned warehouse, or anywhere else you mistake for India. How do you assume a place without silk, spices, or elephants is India? You have to be an idiot or an egomaniac. And judging by his hat, he was clearly both. 
Vaughn. Because of Columbus, I had to deal with kids in school asking me where my bow and arrow and feathers were. First of all, that's racist. Secondly, that's racist. Now, people excuse the terrible things Columbus did to Native peoples by saying he was a man of his time and things were different back then. What the hell does that mean? Oh my God, Columbus is trying to kill us. Wait, what time is it? Oh, it's his time. Which means it's our time to die. This all makes sense now. So I know a lot of Italian-Americans love Columbus because he's their dude. But Italians, you got a lot of dudes. I mean, why not have Joe DiMaggio Day instead? Right? He was a Hall of Fame baseball player with a record 56-game hitting streak. Look at his stats. Career 325 batting average, seven straight seasons of over 100 RBI, and most importantly, no career genocides. <laughs> The only Indians Joe DiMaggio ever slaughtered were from Cleveland. <laughs> One thing that makes me feel better about Columbus is that when he got to hell, and he definitely went to hell, <laughs> he probably thought to himself, fire, screaming, the devil. Oh, wow. I think I just discovered heaven. <laughs> So screw Christopher Columbus and long live Joe DiMaggio. like me now like no matter where I go in life and the things that I accomplish right you know you walk in that room your past still come in with you you know when people talk like oh that guy was the dealer from, from the projects and do 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 back again to that duality it sounds like the celebration of you know where we are now you know on some big yacht and throwing champagne in the water but the undertow mm -hmm. of the thing is like the same water as the water that brought us here you know, originally, yeah. you know, as slaves, so it has this whole duality, and and how we are rewriting history. You know, even the, uh, you know, the stories that we were told about the history of America. I'm anti Santa Maria. Talking about these stories, only yeah. Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace, Biggie Smalls, yeah. silk and fleeces, yeah. lay on my Jesus, on oh my God. I hope y'all don't get seasick. Yeah. You know, you're playing with the this, the theme now, being seasick or seeing these things mm -hmm. and being jealous of it. You yeah. know, I hope, I hope they don't get seasick. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys would please just like and subscribe 
anywhere you see anything. Medicine remixed. Like the shit out of it. Just click on it. it doesn't cost you anything. Move your goddamn fat finger and click on it. You're clicking all kinds of other shit at work when you shouldn't be. God damn it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we appreciate it. And that's really, you know, the only surrogate market we have to go by. And listen, the other thing is fucking tell people about it, man. Tell your friends about us. Tell your friends. I mean, I, I'm always amazed, man, when people think people are famous. Like, I've never been starstruck, ever. And the reason I've never been star, starstruck is because somebody said to me once, you know, the only reason that person's famous is because you made them famous. Right. I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, stop caring who the fuck that is. Yeah. Watch how famous he is now. And it's yeah. like, holy it's like fuck, we, you're right. Yeah, we give things meaning, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we give words meaning. We give everything, man. Meaning. And like, when people when people think like, oh, you know, my friend's an artist. Uh, he's the guy wants to make it big or whatever. You know something? Fucking support that. I mean, if he sucks, he sucks. But if he's even halfway good, man, you make people famous. I don't think people realize that. You make things important. And God damn it, make us famous is what we're saying. Fucking tell people. No, but my point is, is that the only way this is gonna get out and it's ever gonna, you know, get, you know, grow any legs to it is if people tell other people about it. And listen, if you don't like it, thank you for suffering through it. We love you. And if you like it, we'll fucking tell somebody, man. And to be real honest, the feedback that we've gotten back so far, fucking great, man. Like, uh, yeah, we appreciate it. And we're, we're having a good time doing it, and this is our way to be creative within a field that really is an art and a science sure. but art has been taken out of it yeah so you know for for creative people in medicine and there's a lot of them there's a lot of like super sure, talented man. people absolutely this could be a forum for those people kind of looking for a different right. way to express their craft through a more creative means medicine remixed only on anchor Medicine Remix, it's your boy, Arthur Too Good. Yeah, I just wanted to shout y'all out real quick. And also wanted to say, I'm, I subscribe to your iTunes joint. And I think what you're saying is real, real about, you know, we have to support our friends' art. You know what I'm saying? Like, it should be a community. Like, the definition of community is changing with this social media. You know what I mean? But it's still community nonetheless. And we have to support each other in it you know what i'm saying so i love when people create art i think what you do is really unique man so i just want to support it um it's inspiring to me to create so keep it up man i'm i'm fucking with you on the motherfucking itunes podcast joint today's medicine remix show was brought to you by racopressin the first ever anti-racism elixir now available in blackberry are you still doubling down on your vote to make America hate again? I mean, great again. Who are we kidding? I was right the first time. Does the sight of professional athletes kneeling in nonviolent protest during national anthems piss you off? Have you started statements with the phrase, I'm not racist, but if you answered yes to even one of these questions, I think it's safe to say that you should talk to your doctor about racopressin. 
After analyzing centuries of oppression data, scientists have finally boiled down the solution for racism to simple neurochemistry. You see, racopressin is a racemic mixture of four synthetic neurochemical molecules that are emotional analogs to rationality, awareness, compassion, and empathy. R-A-C-E, race. Clinical trials have shown racopressin has been effective at reducing a range of symptoms from being semantically crippled by phrases like Black Lives Matter to denying your alleged racism by claiming to have one or more friends of the race you are being accused of being racist towards. Racopressin, race the hate out of your world. Side effects of racopressin may include colorblindness. And to clarify, we're talking about the real colorblindness, not the closet racist, I don't see color bullshit. You still see people colors, just not red, white, or blue, coincidentally, by a rare subset of people. Another common side effect of racopressin is dry mouth or cotton mouth, if you prefer. And if you actually prefer calling it the latter when given the option to choose, talk to your doctor about racopressin extra strength. Finally, don't eat white chocolate while on racopressin, especially if you prefer it to regular chocolate at baseline. Now, back to some more peace of medical mind on Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. You know, there's two things that I just, I'm not into. Rap music and doctors. Well, that's before I found Medicine Remixed. Somebody call me a doctor. Somebody give me a shot. You gotta check out Medicine Remix, it's dope. Fuck being on some chill shit. Hype as fuck right now. That segment was the jam. <laughs> Thank you so much for this segment. This shit is mad lit. Medicine Remix. <laughs> <laughs> the story was very, very funny for me. Love the work that you guys are doing and the content sounds amazing. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I just wanted to say thanks for being willing to be really real and honest. Have so much appreciation for the idea that you are willing to use your influence to not only highlight other artists who have tried to do something good, but are, are using your space to, to talk about something real. It's uh, helping me a lot. I was having a super shitty night and, well, you guys made it better. Thanks. Keep keeping it real. We love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, we do. Medicine Remixed. Medicine Remixed. Much love, Med Remixed. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remixed. Only on Anchor. <laughs> It reminds me, do you know the, the story of uh, Charles Drew from the Charles Drew School of Medicine fame? He, I don't know if UCLA still has it. It was a subdivision of the UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine. The Charles Drew program was set up to try to take up inner city minorities into the med school. They would still be UCLA medical students, but they were part of the Charles Drew program. And the idea was to get inner city kids and then train them at LA County Hospital. That's 
where a lot of them, you know, they're from there, and it's like the shittiest hospital ever, and that's where like people go to get their uh, their combat training uh, for surgery okay. because you know stuff that you've talked about before, like all the penetrating the trauma. Yeah, yeah, bullets, um, stabbing, yeah, gruesome shit. They call that hospital the homeboy drop off. Yeah, I'm telling Bob. Like, that, like people just roll yeah. up, and fucking, like roll dudes out of the car because they don't want to get involved with the police, so they just yeah. take their home and shot up to the front of the emergency room and just fucking roll them out and be like, we're out, like fucking fix that guy. But uh. Charles Drew, he was a doctor, African-American guy. He played a big role discovering that whole red blood and plasma could be preserved and shipped overseas. And he also devised the first mobile Red Cross truck, essentially, to refrigerate the blood and preserve it. That was an important contribution. It became like this huge phenomenon because now with blood typing, you could match people and you could donate blood. People could receive blood with a lot less worry about people having a reaction to this foreign blood. And this was around, I want to say, World War II. By the time the U.S. enters the war in 1941, Drew has become director of the Red Cross's blood program. Anyway, he's working in this lab that he pretty much was fucking running. Oh. And the story goes, legend has it, that one of the other primary researchers in the, in the lab says, hey, uh, you've made a mistake on all this blood. You haven't been labeling it correctly. And he's like, no. And he looks at the type and he says, no, this is it. And he says, yeah, but you're, you're not marking it colored or white. What? There, he faces a very different challenge. The armed forces have a controversial practice, separating blood from black and white donor. In his view, there was absolutely no reason to separate or to segregate blood on any basis other than blood type, A, B, O, A, B. Major killer! And obviously, he was quite right about that. Uh, there is no scientific explanation for the military's policy of segregating blood. He stands by his principles and quits the Red Cross in protest. And so fucked Like, up. that shit. I remember hearing that and, like, trying to wrap my head around, like, what kind of fucking animal would even be thinking on that plane? You know what I mean? Like, I want to give him as much credit. Like, it was a different era. It was a different age, a different mindset. But, yo, you work in a fucking lab uh, with a guy who's played a huge role in saving fucking countless countless lives and you have the fucking audacity to let that be the hindrance huh. to the progression of like the human species you know what i mean uh, like that shit always fucking blew my mind yeah and you know what's interesting when, when you say that at that point at that level of the timeline as far as the history of medicine it's like if they were you know at the level where they were working on blood typing and things like that that means yeah. that they most likely have at that point seen what the inside of the human body looks like oh. you, know, yeah. as far as, yeah. you know just right. like the fact that no matter what fucking color you are on the outside everybody right. looks the fucking same on the inside yeah. uh -huh. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like, you guys are fucking scientists. Like, wow. It's like, yeah. that's how fucking powerful this shit is, you know? Like, racism has made you retarded. What the fuck, man? Yeah, that's it. That's really it. Like, it, it, it trumps all fucking progress. Unintended. Unintended. Yeah. Laughing <laughs> 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 at us. No shit. Yeah, man. But yeah, that, that fucking story always... I think part of that sort of stigma 
or whatever you'd want to call it. It's just weird that it's it's in healthcare, uh, like of all things. I know, and it's something we don't really talk about. It's something that we don't no, really not at all. talk about much. No. Like people would be fucking shocked. I feel like on a mainstream level, like it's not a topic that really comes up a whole lot. Just like the behind the scenes stuff that goes on. But I feel like that's exactly why something like what we're doing and people that have come up in our generation in the social media uh, age of medicine, these things are being brought to the forefront. Uh, How many of these stories that just me and you have and think about like, yeah. you know, times the yeah. number of minority providers, but yeah, so many. And if you don't know, now you know, you know. People are freaking out. People are freaking out about demographic changes. They're freaking out about immigration. I was watching CNN, which was my mistake to begin with. And interviewing a lady in Arizona who wanted stronger border security. And she said, we're just trying to bring this country back to the way it used to be. Lady, you're in Arizona. It used to be Mexico. What are you talking about? And the kind of racism that's directed towards Mexican people in this country doesn't even make any sense. Like, the racism is absurd. What are the major stereotypes you hear? Mexicans are lazy. But you also hear, Mexicans steal all the jobs. How do those two things work together? How can you be lazy and still magically steal all the jobs? Well, that's easy. Some Mexicans are lazy, and some Mexicans work really hard. Oh, you mean like all people. Like all human beings. If your argument is that Mexicans are like all human beings, well then you're just a really shitty racist. That's some piss poor racism. Maybe you should get out of the racism game. Or hire a Mexican person to be racist for you. Clearly couldn't handle that job. I, I really believe it all comes back to purpose, man. To like having a purpose. The, the real tragedy for me every day is having to go talk to my patients who have borderline personality disorder. Those are like the most frustrating. I mean, it's just hard, man. There's no like really good therapy. There's no medication. They're just so difficult. Part of that feeling that I get is the same feeling of like lack of purpose. They don't have a real identity. They just kind of, whatever it is you're into or whatever you're the, the specialist in, they'll, they'll claim to know more about it and be better than you and you suck and you know, and everybody's against them and, and nobody ever wants them to succeed and you know, everybody's a hater. And the reason I bring that up is because I think the same rings true when I think of like racism. I think of somebody who, the whole point in life to some degree I think is for you to be acknowledged for something you're awesome at and that encompasses you being awesome at something so you enjoying to do something and being really good at it and people acknowledging it and you being rewarded for it or compensated for it even but the cheat way to get there the cheat code is if you're racist right because you did nothing to be the race that you are you did nothing literally nothing yeah, literally and, nothing and, and you can be completely fucking useless but now you're part of this team like instantly you're loved you're revered you're, you're you're a brother you're a comrade and you might be a complete fucking moron but automatically you're you're given this like status it's not fucking great but you got to keep in mind who we're talking about here people who might not be coming from anything and 
you automatically get this fucking medallion on your coat like you're you're one of us and that's such a fucking cheat code because you haven't practiced anything you haven't gotten good at anything and nobody will notice you in life otherwise but now you get to walk around with a fucking swastika or something on your jacket and now people notice you they talk to you in the same way we were laughing earlier saying like if you went on the corner and just started talking and one dude fucking gave you dap for what you were saying you'd be fucking gassed you'd be so gassed you'd be like yo this one dude was feeling me he was like fucking taking notes when i was talking and shit now you have people who come out and seek you to like even though they're protesting against you they woke up with you on their mind you know like as weird and and maladaptive as that is that attention it's attention nonetheless and you literally can have it whenever you want it. If you decide right now that you're gonna join the clan, there's somebody out there right now who could do it and instantly they matter to somebody. And I'm talking passionately where like people will come and they'll cry and, and tell them, you know, fucking wish death upon them because they're evil. But instantly you matter in this weird, weird, powerful way. And I think that all goes back to purpose, man. Like that person really lacks purpose. They feel no value. They feel no worth. They haven't found their Place. And this is a, a, a fucking cheat way because it's not a good way. It's not a sustainable model, but it is available and they literally have to do nothing to join it. I don't know. I, I'm, it's probably not a very articulate way of breaking it down, but there's something in there, you know. a complicated problem i mean it's so multifactorial you know i think there, there's a lot to be said about that conversation we had where you were telling me about that kkk documentary there was a documentary i was watching on uh, the ku klux klan mm -hmm. and uh they asked the guy what are you doing now to promote the clan and without hesitation he says music and the interviewer says hold up what do you mean music there's no better tool to program a child than music he said, if we say what we want to say over and over in their heads they're gonna believe it major key alert looking no, at this dude i'm like thinking jesus lyrics. christ how scary is that you know like he's he knows that that's the tool like music is his most powerful weapon just understanding the significance of that answer is an important insight uh -huh. for the cultural pillars that are very much going to be responsible for some sort of progress or degress for sure. what's the opposite of progress uh, uh digression right <laughs> <laughs> The interview that I did for the next documentaries was with Mentor Me MD, that ophthalmologist that yeah. you follow on Instagram. And I thought that was an awesome interview. If I, do say so I, I just felt like it was really good. And we, we were talking about a lot of things that address race. That's like the biggest topic right now, but like more than ever, like it, it always has been. But just with yeah. everything that, that's happening and like who our president is and this like revolutionized racism that we're seeing, uh, like it was very timely. And, you know, she shared some amazing stories of her experience. And I feel like there's so many stories like this. That's what a bunch of this Mentor Me MD episode is about. Yo, it's hard enough being a woman in medicine. Oh, like yeah. you had the woman thing and the black thing. Oh, yeah. Courageous shit, man. It's like it's, it's got to take a lot of courage to be able 
able to like go through that. It's hard enough, like just going through it at all. Uh, you know, the path of becoming a doctor, trying to help people, but then when you compound uh, that with all of this extra bullshit that should not be there, the fact that it's in healthcare, it's like it's that deep rooted and disseminated. It's just a social cancer, man. It's unbelievable. No, it really is. It really is. It, it's funny because listening to you say that right now, the, yeah, what a incredibly insurmountable feeling at times it has to be to be not only a woman, but, but a black woman in medicine. Oh. At the same time, there can be an argument made that Major Keeler. it's so much easier for her in a lot of ways to have an impact on people. I like this way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's something that for sure I've thought about, like for myself. I mean, I'm not, I get to walk a really weird line where enough people are comfortable looking at me and saying, well, he's not white, white, but he might be. <laughs> related to somebody who's white white you know like there's just enough of a hint where like can buy myself enough time to run if i had to you know what i mean like there's there's just just enough i know that he's definitely not black he's not right. white but i'm not sure you know i'm not sure he's, about white, he's white enough he's white enough yeah yeah exactly yeah, but that's yeah. just it like so i also have the added bonus that when I talk, I don't have much of an identifiable accent that pins me any which way. I can tell you, you definitely don't sound white. Right. Getting closer <laughs> to one way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, that's for sure. Uh, but I buy myself some time or some space. Yeah. But all that being said, I'm also very sensitive to the fact that just culturally, like where I come from, it's easier to connect with some people. Uh -huh. Like even socioeconomically, it's easier to connect. Like I have yeah. such an in, I have such an in totally. with my patient population population, you know, because a lot of them, you know, it's mental health and a lot of them are, you know, from underserved communities. It's easy for me to make that in. So I appreciate that and I exploit the shit out of that all the time. Oh, but it's, yeah, just so it's, it's just so funny to me that both of those are true, right? Because then with like that lady who got mad because she thought I was Hindu. Hold up. And then she was like, you're a Hindu, right? <laughs> and then she was like, no. And then she was like, whatever you are, you don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to have to go. And when I heard that, I was like, I guess you're a Hindu. You know, like it's equally moving in good directions and bad directions. You know, like it, it can be profoundly impactful, but for different reasons and very different results. And I think that that makes it hard because there's no like, there's no middle ground. There's no like, you just go, get up and you do your job. You know, like there's no privileged position of being able to just, you go and you do your job. And that's your race or where you're from. None of that matters and what you're doing. That'd be nice sometimes too, but that's not the case. That's just not the case. And I think that that's interesting because you know, I try to remind myself for all the shit that the, the, the negative shit that we're able to laugh about, you know, that gallows humor kind of shit. Yeah. It's done because on some level it obviously still bothers us. You know what I mean? We're obviously not okay with it. Just kind of navigate. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, it's got definitely its benefits too. That's the weird thing. I don't ever want to make it sound like it's all bad. Yeah. But it's pretty bad. It's part of being a, a minority, like a non-white yeah, non yeah. minority. I think, I don't know, uh, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever had that experience where like you meet the doctor and you're surprised. For whatever reason, male, female, black, white. I don't think I've, I can't think of a time where I was like shocked. Yeah. Like I, I, I just, that's a weird time to have that feeling. I, it just doesn't make sense. I know. It's really hard. So. What happened at the New Orleans? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Bitch, I'm back. I'm popular the man. Y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. in my bag swag oh yeah baby oh yeah I, oh, oh yes i like that i did not come to play with you hoes <laughs> i came to slay bitch i like cornbreads and collard greens bitch oh yes you best to believe it y'all haters corny with that illuminati mess Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress I'm so possessive so I rock his rock necklaces My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama Sauce in my bag. I see it. I want it.
Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you cause all this conversation. Always stay gracious. Best revenge is your paper. Girl, I'll hear some thunder. Golly, look at that water, boy.